What's happening, fam? This is Chris Harper, CEO of Better Man. I'm so grateful you're joining us for this episode of the Better Man podcast. This season is brought to you by our friends at Aroga Drive. Check it out at arogadrive.com. Also, check out the link in the show notes. When you purchase Aroga Drive, a portion comes back to benefit Better Man. Clean energy for all your daily needs. Arogadrive.com. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam here with Chris. Chris, part two today. Uh, last week, we talked about the state of manhood and uh, just some research and some surveys that Better Man has done. And we talked about a man and his children or a man and his family last week. And today we're picking up that conversation, talking about a man and the church, a man and his faith. So yeah. uh, anything out of the survey or the research here was surprising to you uh, based on this and a man and his faith? Man, it's uh, it's not encouraging. Hmm. So, so well, get ready. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get ready. It was it was actually pretty discouraging. Um, we're in the midst of what's being called the great dechurching. Hmm. Um, nearly forty million people who formerly attended worship or religious services uh, no longer attend church at all. Okay, and and we've seen this shift over the last hmm. twenty or so years. Um, you know, one one old saint used to say the mark of a healthy church is crying babies and singing men. Yep. Uh, today we, we, we really have neither. Hmm. Um, uh, and it's not, it's not great. Uh, a man's relationship with his church, uh, a man's participation within that church. Uh, it really is a mark of his spirituality. It's a mark of his spiritual maturity. Yep. Uh, and unfortunately, the the marks are low. You know, one of the common things we heard were, um, you know, I love Jesus, but but I don't like the church. Yep. And and unfortunately, that's that's impossible. Yep. Uh, you, you can't love Jesus and hate his bride. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, just super interesting stuff. Yeah. And this was, you know, I think some of what we're going to talk about today, this is not something that just happened Overnight, this is not because of the pandemic or anything like that. This, there were some some seeds that were being sown, for lack of a better term, uh, maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago. That, that yeah. kind of has led to this moment. And I think it's important for us to understand some of the historical context, especially here in the West in America, with all of this. But you want to go through a couple of those of just like what what has gotten to this point? Because I, I think your insights are pretty spot on and and pretty interesting. Yeah. And that's um, pastors, men's leaders, anybody working with men, you're really going to love this study because it's, it's data driven. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's not just, it's just, it's not just quantitative. There are some qualitative aspects to it. Like we do want to present a pathway forward, things of that nature, but, but just using a broad brush, I just want to paint where we're at and give you a a couple of reasons and, and how we got there. So, yeah. So the typical U.S. congregation today draws, on average, an adult crowd that's 61% female and 39% male, okay? Fewer than 7% of U.S. churches can establish or maintain a men's ministry. Hmm. Meanwhile, 80% of all Western churches have a functioning women's ministry, okay? Fewer than 1%—I want you to think about this—fewer than 1% of church-going men participate— and ongoing men's ministry programs. Fewer than 1%. 
whether that's, that's a per- and that's of yeah. the 7% that actually have something, right? That's right. So whether yeah. that's a prayer study, a scripture study, you know, a religious education group, any type of midweek religious activity, you know, they're they're drawing 70% more female participants than men. Wow. Okay. There are 13 million more adult women than men on any given Sunday in America's churches. Right. Sixty eight percent of religious men say they attend church a few times a year, if ever. Hmm. Almost 25 percent of married church going women will worship without their husbands this weekend. Okay, And then one of the most kind of damning statistic, um, over 70 percent of young men, of boys being raised in the church will leave it during their late teens and early 20s. Hmm. One um, one researcher recently called Christian universities, listen to this, Christian universities are becoming convents. The typical Christian college in the U.S. enrolls almost two women for every one male. Hmm. And uh, and and we had we, we had we heard one respondent say, um, it's not that I, I hate God. He said, I just I just hate the fact that my wife is better at church than me. Hmm. <laughs> Golly. Yeah. W- which is, there's so much to say there with that one as far as like, a, what, what I can hear there is, is a guy, you know, a, a theme that we talk about a lot here, Chris, is just a guy's desire to win, right? We just want to see some That's progress. Right. And I know it's strange to talk about that in the church context, but yes, if you, if you constantly feel like you're walking into this thing and you're the dumbest guy in the room, uh, you're the, you, you don't know what's going on. Uh, you're clueless. There's not a guy that I think is really going to sit there and go, you know what? This is good for me. Uh, I think it, it's sure. good for me to be humbled like this every day. Uh, so, okay. So those are, those are some pretty alarming stats. Um, yeah. The stats are what they are. And um, those are, those are good numbers. Uh, how do we get here? Yeah. So there, there are really three movements. Um, I want to talk briefly just about two of those today. You'll have to read the study to get the third one. Um, But one of the biggest shifts was in the 70s and 80s, uh, 1970s, 1980s. It was called the church growth movement. Hmm. And and in the 70s and 80s, we saw churches um, turn to consulting firms and conferences and, and publications that were focused on strategies really around helping helping pastors grow their church. So Robert Schuler's um, Your Church Has Real Possibilities. I mean, that book sold, sold millions of copies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Wagner's um, Your Church Can Grow. Um, it, it ushered in this era of like pragmatic marketing strategies. And, and, and here's the reality. Those strategies around the church growth, which which really was the invention of the megachurch, were aimed strategically and specifically at children and women. That's right. Yeah. Um, so the idea was that if we can win the children, um, if we can win the women, then the men would kind of naturally follow. And, and what we've discovered uh, 50 years later is that wasn't the case. Mm-mm. Yeah. So, and I went, you know, I'm a product of that. So I didn't really grow up in church. And then late, you know, mid nineties, as I become a Christian, uh, all I knew was these big growth minded mega church, community church types, type of things. I I thought it was, it was pretty, 
uh, interesting because I, I had, you know, I had certain things in my mind about what a church was from uh, the 70s and 80s when I went to, to small little uh, denominational churches. So to see these new, big, bright things was was pretty interesting. Uh, I found it I found it appealing, uh, candidly, and that was a part of what kept me interested uh, in the church. But um, but I've got a category for all that. But it, but and so one of those churches that I was a part of, I mean, they they kind of had that little tagline like this is the place where kids bring their parents to church, mm. you know, which is like if, if the kids love it, they're going to be begging their kids, their their parents to take them. And so uh, it was kind of like the Chuck E. Cheese strategy, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> the kids are, are going to just wear your parents down. They're eventually going to take you to Chuck E. That's Cheese. Right. And yeah. so, uh, and again, not to, not to, I mean, this was all well-meaning stuff. It was all done for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel, right? Sure. So it was these strategies that were used. There was a tremendous amount of fruit, but one of the unintended negative consequences it appears to be is that it was leaving men behind a little bit, right? Yeah, and that's because there there was an overemphasis on feminine values hmm. in this movement, right? Yeah. So there was a desire for comfort at the expense of risk. And and it's what David Murrow called, and this term is so good, he called it velvet coffin, velvet coffin Christianity. Okay. Yeah. Right. So the key characteristics is comfort. Um, everyone's nice to each other. Uh, we choose the church based on how comfortable it makes us feel. Um, the church is all about safety. Um, think about the top prayer request, right? God, keep us safe. Keep our kids safe. Watch over us and protect us. And, yeah. and God becomes this figure that's there just to keep our um, well-ordered lives kind of flowing smoothly. Yep. yep. And, and, and a church that focuses on comfort, it just won't attract men, not, not real men. Yeah, uh, uh, men kind of gag at that type of religion, right? Uh, that that soft kind of pearly white Jesus in a in a gown with a sheep across his neck, like like it's not super appealing. <laughs> no, no, yeah. So there, then again, one of the negative consequences, and again, unintended, was just this. Uh, I think what you call like this discipleship disease, right? Where yeah. the softening of the edge. That right. goes with being a follower of Jesus. So say some more about that, because I think that's important for us. To yeah. Talk. Yeah. That's that. That's that third wave mm. um, uh, that really built upon that church growth movement. Um, and it's a discipleship disease. Right. Yeah. Um, it produced this kind of shallow, generic spirituality. And, and we lost our distinctively Christian edge. I love what J.T. English says. He says that um, we've taken the edge off of what it means to follow Christ. And the problem with that is like men love the edge. Hmm. Men love risk. Men love excitement. Men love taking chances, right? It's, hmm. what, it's what appeals to us as men. We, we do want to take ground and we do want to protect and we do want to provide and we do want to take the next hill. Um, we, don't, we don't like things being comfortable all the time because it's not challenging. Yep. And, and unfortunately, the church kind of played into that comfort culture where the thought was, if we can just make this as comfortable as possible, um, you know, men would just kind of acquiesce and, and get along to get along. Yeah. Or setting the, or, and at the same time uh, saying, okay, so here's, here's the edgy thing you got to do. 
get in a room, sit around a coffee table and talk about how you feel. That's right? right. That's wild. That's going to be wild, but that's what we got to do. And listen, there's a time and a place for all of that. And, um, but, but it was like, that was the only option for a lot of guys that was given, that's which right. is, uh, get a Bible, sit around a coffee table and talk. And yeah. that's, that's typically not going to be the way a lot of guys <laughs> go through life and a lot of be very appealing to them. No, no, not at all. They want, um, they want action. Yeah. Um, they want to fix things. They want to yeah. make things. They want to create things. They want to be a part of the solution. And again, that's the way God wired men. That's what, yeah. that's what he made men for. When he made Adam and set him in the garden, he told Adam to subdue it, to cultivate it, to grow it. And he's just not talking about the world. He's also talking about his faith. He's also yeah. talking about his emotions. He's talking about his physicality. He's talking about everything. We we are to be advancing. There there is no retreat in the spiritual life. There 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 is no um, um, running backwards. It's it's yeah. always forward. That's right. So let's let's talk about some things that we're seeing going well. Uh, because you said you know there were seven percent of churches that had some like a sustainable men's ministry. And I know that what we're doing at Better Man, we're probably hearing a disproportionate number of good stories of these churches that are trying to do some things to uh, to try to care for and disciple men and call them uh, to this adventurous life of following after Jesus. So what are some things you're seeing that are really encouraging uh, again, not try to not trying to do this whole church move, you know, growth movement thing all over again. We're not trying to turn you into a consultant here to fix everything that that's wrong right now. But uh, what are some stories that you're finding encouraging and things you're hearing that churches are doing? Absolutely. So, so two things stand out over and above everything else. Mm. The first is giving men a pathway and, and defining what it means to be God's man. Um, for, for decades, we, we yelled at men, we berated men, um, we told men, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, and you need to get up and do it. Um, we literally filled up stadiums. We mm. packed the men in, in, into stadiums, and we told them that. Yep. Um, but today, it's, it's a whole new generation. It's a whole new era. We're not going to guilt and shame men back into the church. Um, 41% of young men today did not grow up with a physical father. The majority of men today did not grow up with a spiritual father. Uh, it's not that they don't want to be good men. It's that the majority of them don't even know how to be good men. They don't right. know where to start. That's right. So so the churches that are doing well with this are the churches that, that begin to give men God's good definition of what it means to be a godly man. And I like that. And like him or not, I'm going to tell you who was phenomenal at this. It was Mark Driscoll. Hmm. Mark Driscoll painted a picture of what it meant to be God's men, and men flocked to That's him. That's right. That's right. Because he was giving them a definition. He was creating for them a pathway on how to be God's man, and men loved it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, in some ways, it's simplifying it. That I, I love because we've talked about that here before on the podcast, that one of the things that we feel like we're doing at Better Man is that call of clarity, right? That we are defining what this is and, and helping men with that. Because uh, as we've said so many times, like clarity is one of the most inspiring forces in the world. That's right. And so if we have a bunch of guys that are sitting around not moving, they're probably confused. And that's so right. that's where 
that definition can be very, very helpful in giving them that path and that definition. What else are you seeing? Because you said there were two. What was the second one? Yeah, the second the second one where we're seeing churches just really crush it, especially with men, are the churches that are getting back to multi-generational discipleship. Hmm. So, so one of the, one of the biggest movements, uh, in the last 30, 40 years within the church was this idea of the life group Yep, and lots of positives from that. Lots of benefits, right? Uh, we, we kind of put people into life stage and then we encourage them to do life together. The problem with that is, uh, putting a bunch of 20 year olds in a room together, you don't necessarily get a lot of wisdom or experience. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. So, uh, so for 30 or 40 years now, we, we've lost the emphasis on not just gender based discipleship, because that's another problem with life groups is it's it's typically you and your spouse, you and your mate, things of that nature. Right. Mm-hmm. So so not only did we lose the emphasis on on gender based discipleship, but we also lost the emphasis on multi-generational discipleship. Mm-hmm. So, so we're seeing churches like Brian Hurlbut's church um, out in Salt Lake City, Utah, Lifeline Community Church. Um, they have a very specific gender-based discipleship program, and it is multi-generational. You have older saints, older men. These men are not perfect. These men are not biblical scholars. They are men who have just lived life longer, thus they have experienced more. Yep. And they're looking at younger men and saying, hey, walk with me and maybe I can help you fail less than I did. Yep. Yeah. And, and young sense. men are flocking to that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you put both of those together, here's a path and a definition. And I can bring a lot of clarity to this area where there's a lot of confusion around what it means to be a man. Uh, and then you mix that with a, oh, and by the way, here's a bunch of different guys at different ages. So it's great to have some 20 somethings around you. Cause it's great to have friends and, yeah. and that's awesome. But listen, it's also great to have some wisdom in the room and to have some 40 year olds and to have some 60 year olds and have some 80 year olds. Mm-hmm. Uh, if nothing else, just to let you know, it's all probably going to be okay. Right. That's and right. this is very normal, uh, what you're going through and all that stuff. And it's, helping you keep the main thing, the main thing. So I love that. I love that. Those are two great things to be able to do uh, with all that. So Chris, if there's some guy listening right now going, okay, I want to get my hands on this, this report, the state of manhood has been good. I like these two episodes that we've talked about a man and his family and now a man and his faith. And we've got one more episode to do uh, on a man and his calling and his vocation, but uh, where can they go to find out more information about this? Yeah, this is going to be a free download under uh, Better Man Resources at our website, betterman.com. And then we've also got a special interview with uh, Nancy Piercy. Hmm. Uh, Nancy, Professor Piercy wrote The Toxic War on Masculinity. Um, I was able to go down uh, to Houston Christian University, sit with her for a few hours, talk about the state of manhood, the Better Man publication, get her thoughts. So we have an exclusive interview with her, super insightful. She's so, so intelligent, so articulate, so wise. So you'll be able to watch that. Um, We'll have a great YouTube episode on that. Um, You can download the State of Manhood on our free resource page and then circulate it, share it, share it with your pastor, share it with your friend, share it with other men's leaders. Man, we want to get the word out because we want this to be a tool that really serves and, and, and helps paint a picture of where men are and then, and then how we can move the needle in the right direction. 
That's right. Yeah. And I love, again, we're going to, if you didn't listen to the last episode, we're going to do this every year. And I love it. I mean, I've got this, this thing, cause there's a out there in the, you know, in the marketplace, there's the Barna state of work that comes out every year and people are loving it. Like they cannot wait to get it to see how things have changed. And so it'd be so great uh, just to have this resource out there like this, uh, that, that will do something like this every year that people will start to pay attention to. It yeah. can really help a lot of people. So uh, that's it. Chris, as always, great to be with you. Thanks so much for your time today. Hey, Adam. See you soon. Fam at Better Man, we're all about helping men win. If you love our weekly podcast, you're going to love our new daily devotional, Better Mornings. Check out the link in the show notes to subscribe or go to betterman.com and sign up for Better Mornings, our 2024 daily devotional. It's everything you need to start your day as a better man.